This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Vahishamda is a prayer that appears in the Pesach Haggadah. It tells the story of the Jewish people and their survival and that God will keep the Jewish people alive. It also refers to the fact that not only one enemy has risen up against Jews to destroy them, but this will happen in every generation. But my gosh, it takes its toll on our emotional and mental well-being. There is no doubt that Jews have intergenerational trauma. I'm delighted to have Sherry Hansen, and her title is Mental Health Coordinator Tatsula Medical Rescue and Social Worker in Private Practice. Join me now to help cope, us cope with the mental stress that we're experiencing, well, emotional as well. Sherry, welcome and thanks. Oh, Dr. Hansen, I apologize. Welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Cherise. Um, Dr. Hansen, you mentioned that you, the you, Hatsola has had over a hundred calls on the Hatsola Teenage Connect line since the 7th of October, which means we are really struggling. Sharice, we are struggling. It is a, we, we definitely are a nation in crisis at the moment. And I think that we can see from the children and the kind of calls that we're getting in on our teen line that the, the adults are also uncontained and are falling apart because they aren't there to hold the children through this. So let's talk about the, the kiddies first, many of whom are writing exams as we speak, right? Is it, is it, how do you help them cope and how do you help them concentrate? Well, I think that, you know, post the 7th of October, our whole world fell apart. And there were a lot of things that happened on that day that made the world look completely different, unpredictable, unsafe. And as we know here, it's been such a multi-layered trauma. We've had the trauma of how did this happen, actually, and the actual trauma of the horrendous, heinous crimes that have been committed and that we've been exposed to all over social media. And then we have the other layer of how our government has responded to this and how children now feel walking around as as Jewish girls and boys in South Africa. So there's been a lot of trauma that's happened for them right off the back of COVID. And, um, and they are now sitting in a place trying to hold many different feelings in one space. They need to write exams. They have simchas. They have 18-year-old parties. They're trying to get engaged. Things that now feel very awkward. What are the rules in this game of trauma and grieving? And what are the rules? Well, I think... You know, what I, what I say to the children that I see, um, is that we have to be very clear that it would be an absolute own goal not to continue to have simchas, not to continue with our lives. That's what essentially Hamas would like for us to stop our lives. And the other own goal is the exposure to the psychological warfare that's happening on social media. Um, it was a clear objective of Hamas when they put body cams on their terrorists to traumatize us vicariously with, with all the images that have flooded our social media stream. And I think as adults, we need to safeguard ourselves against that. And we have to explain to children that choosing not to expose ourselves to that does not mean that we are not resonating deeply with, with the trauma that um, is happening in Israel. That there are other ways to connect to that. What are the questions that those who are calling in are asking? Children are feeling very, um, they're feeling overwhelmed with their own lives. How do they deal with their lives in the face of this trauma? I know I find it very hard to concentrate at work 
constantly wondering what's happening next, what is going to happen, how the how is there going to be a World War Three when I turn on the radio next? And children are finding that difficult too. They're finding it hard to integrate their everyday life, matric exams, normal exams, those kind of things with um, this feeling of helplessness. How do we how do we cope with the world and our feeling of helplessness when there is very little we can do in the face of this big problem? There's helplessness and there's anger and there's frustration. How do we deal with that? So I think that, you know, the, the Jewish superpower is unity and who will be resilient at the end of this? Who will come out less scarred are those who are doing, doing something. And when I say doing something, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be part of the actual war effort to be doing something. You can be contributing in any which way that resonates for you. You can be saying to Helen if that resonates for you. You can be doing something completely non-religious or spiritual that resonates for you. You can be kind you can bring light into the world, and that those are the things we can control in a very uncontrolled environment right now. So when I'm talking to children who are feeling completely overwhelmed, how do I manage with my exams? That's one of the things you can control. You can write a timetable. You can learn for your exams. You can do well in the face of trauma. You can show Hamas that we, we are going to thrive and survive this. From what you're saying, the children and adults are actually experiencing the same the same trauma. Whatever you said about children, I think could mm. equally apply to um, adults. Is the is the coping mechanism the same? Well, it, it's similar. It's the same in a different version. Um, and what happens with trauma is trauma is something that we can't un- explain. It's an unnatural event that's happened, and and that's exactly how we're feeling. That's something very unnatural and inconceivable has just happened and how do we wrap our head around that so I think we're feeling that as adults and even more so the children who are looking to us as adults for answers are staring at a blank wall we don't have the answers to this so um, there are stages I imagine for everything um, we experience a trauma we one month later in that month we have seen um, anti-Israel protesters walk through our suburbs we have seen our government attack the Jewish, the Jewish board of deputies and by extension, the Jewish community. We have seen the Israeli ambassador to South Africa attempt to be humiliated. It, how do we cope along the way when there is no end in sight? Well, I think the, the stages of trauma mirror largely the stages of grief. So we had the acute trauma of the 7th of October where we were all in a heightened state of adrenaline, heightened state of shock. What's, how did this happen? What's going to happen next? And now we're in a stage of chronic trauma. So we're still dealing with those um, initial stages of shock, but it's now evolved into deep grief, deep anger, disbelief. And we are going to have a long series of intergenerational post-traumatic stress that follows from what has happened. But we right now don't have any idea what that's going to look like. And then can we talk a little bit about the hostages? Um, The board has been, you know, keeping the memory and the image of those alive, that they're not a number, that these are children, these are teenagers, etc. That constant worry of what and where and how they are. Well, I think that the issue of the hostages is so personal because it connects to every single one of us. It could be any single one of us. And when there is a platform for that kind of baseless hatred, you know, 
it can happen to anybody that you become the next victim. And I think that that's what's been so horrific, that it's this teetering on the edge of hope. What has happened to the hostages? Are they still alive? If they are alive, what's happening to them? That's that's a constant worry that's going through all of our minds. And I think it's a constant trauma. We re-traumatize ourselves every time we think about what happened and what is happening to them. What do you recommend? I recommend we control what we can control that we limit our exposure to this, that we hold them in our minds in a way that feels manageable, that we that we work on the things that we can do and that we do have control over. I think just to go back to your comment about having people walk through our streets, we've never been a community that has felt unsafe to be Jewish. And that has completely changed, that our children are wondering if they can walk around on the street with a kippah on their head, if they can be identifiably Jewish. And and somewhere we have to lean into ourselves and and harness that sense of unity. I would add that we're also a very strong and cohesive community. Um, and I think we can draw strength from each other. I, I know I often get calls from people who are on the left, who are critical of Israel, who are phoning up and saying, how can we help? You know, things fundamentally did change for the Jewish community. And I find that we are a lot more cohesive and strong and proud. And, and we're, just, uh, we're, next, uh, we're not, um, we're not, uh, uh, we're not passive, we're active. And I would encourage the community to continue being proud Jews that we are. Sharice, you know, um, our community in Johannesburg is exceptionally unique in terms of Jewish communities around the world. And it's exactly what you're saying, that we are a community of doers. And it is a lot by virtue of the fact that we've had to um, generate our own services in, in many areas. But that has actually worked for us and not against us in that we are a united front. We come together. We have lots of different opinions. But at the end of the day, when we are in crisis, we're a community that's unified. And I think if we can take that and encourage our children to feel blessed to be part of such a community, that it's not it, – it's a unique concept in the world – um, and to get involved in the community, to find opportunities to be doing things that make us feel part of a collective, that eases the, the trauma and the pain when you are sharing something with others. I think the word I was looking for is empowered, and that's exactly what we are. And I, what is also reassuring for South Africans is we're not seeing the kinds of things that we're seeing in London and New York, where it's turning into violence, where people are being killed. We, we, I, th- I would say we still at this moment are a safe community. I think that we are a safe community. It's the perception that's concerning, and that's where we as adults need to protect our children and help them feel like they can still participate in Jewish events. They can still make their mark as a Jewish person in this community, and we have a lot to offer this country, and we've seen how many um social development projects have emerged from Jewish organizations. So there is still a lot to give, and I would, it would be a very sad day if we started to not feel proudly South African. Dr. Hanson, can I ask you about intergenerational trauma? Is it a, a real thing? It certainly is a real thing, and we, we have seen that from survivors of the Holocaust and how that trauma does um, bleed down into generations that follow that sense of post-traumatic stress, that propensity to be more susceptible 
to anxiety, to depression, to issues like that. It doesn't change your DNA. It changes the way your DNA reads things. So you become more susceptible to certain things. And I think that, unfortunately, this this terrible atrocity is going to leave a footprint of intergenerational trauma for many years to come. Wow. I mean, that's, 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 it's, it's important that we know, that we understand why we are so vulnerable. Because I think we are feeling vulnerable. And, and it's not like the Holocaust was beyond living memory. We have Holocaust survivors around. And I, on the show, also spoken a lot about second generation. So where are we now for our generation? Somewhere in between like third generation and first generation. Yes, that's exa- we we sandwiched <laughs> right in the middle of that, but one of the ways that we that we hope to deal successfully with intergenerational trauma is to be aware of where it's coming from and what it predisposes us to because then we have more control over how that looks um in real terms. So I think that if we can have a heightened awareness of what we're going through now, if we can validate the feelings that we're having, and especially for our children it's not helpful to say things like you know, pull yourself together. There's a war. Other people are going through really hard stuff. Our kids are going through really hard stuff too. And doubly so because there is a war. So, you know, we need to help acknowledge and hold our children's feelings. Are they the most vulnerable in this? I think everyone's vulnerable on a diff- in, in, in a different, different way. way. You know, I, I don't think there is a most vulnerable or least vulnerable. I think everyone's vulnerable in a different way. And when there is a, a massive collective trauma like that, it triggers things for us. On so many different levels, past traumas, current traumas, um, it's been difficult for everybody. Do you think, because, the, like, I remember still the very, like, three days after it happened, the board and the Fed held a press conference for journalists. And I introduced saying that for me, it was reminiscent of the Holocaust, but not the extent, obviously, but the things that were coming out, specifically with the babies or people saying they were trying to keep their babies quiet, don't cry because it'll put them at risk. Is this, is every, every trauma just going to again refer back to a Holocaust and is it fair? Well, I think we can't take away some of the things that, um, are reminiscent of very real events and and incidents that happened. I mean, it's not by coincidence that you are being reminded of things that happened in the Holocaust. The difference is that there's social media and there's a different way of broadcasting violence. There are different means of warfare. The psychological warfare that's happened on social media has been enormously successful for Hamas. People are terribly traumatized and the cancel culture that happens that comes along with that and the immediate response of so many people of no it's not true you know using social media and how it is how it is manipulated to deny what is happening is enormously painful for a community to hear yeah and i think that's what i'm feeling in terms of you know we need to pace ourselves you know there's not a day that you put on the radio and there isn't somebody saying but you know you know the God, and again, I feel I need to repeat it often. Every loss of innocent life is tragic. Finished. No but. <laughs> Every loss of innocent life is tragic. Yet Israel is, is being held responsible for those loss of life. And by extension, we feel maybe responsible for, I think people are using carpet bombing, 
as the term, you know, which isn't a true factual term. Do we feel responsible for what's happening and should we? I think we have to be very clear that there are no winners in war. And I don't think that we can take responsibility. First of all, we need to help ourselves and our children understand that we cannot take responsibility for decisions that are made by governments and terrorist organizations and things like that. But um, it does it does make, particularly our children who don't have the wide breadth of knowledge that we have around history and Israel's history and how things have panned out, it can be a very confusing space for them to sit in. And yeah, yeah, okay. We just need to give them the space to talk these things out. That they can't be. You've got to pick a side and stick with it, and don't veer off from that narrative. We are still probably just at the beginning stages. How would you suggest to our community we pace ourselves, as it were, and what can we expect with our emotions and going forward? So. In terms of grief and trauma, it's never a straight line. So we can expect to feel okay one day like we're managing and absolutely undone the next. And so it'll go until we actually know what we're dealing with and we can start mourning the loss of what we know is not there. Right now we're in the middle of this, as I said, so it's a chronic state and we don't really know what we what we're up against. Yeah, I, I think the, the kind of the reassurance that Israel is there. And Israel is strong, is reassuring. I think if we lose hope, then we have nothing, and we have to generate that hope for children. Israel is all we have, so we will always have it. That's that's our biggest weapon. And it's strong. And it's strong. Um, you mentioned the Hatzola helpline for teens. Can you just tell us what what Hatzola is offering? So Hatzola, we've had this since COVID. We've had a helpline that is via text. It's completely anonymous. Um, children can go onto our Instagram page and just click on the on the line, on the link, and um, straight away they are connected to a counselor. It's open twenty four seven, and um, and we really have been inundated with with teens and some adults who have found it absolutely unbearable. Sherry, thank you. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Hansen, thank you very much for joining me. Um, that was very useful, very helpful, and reassuring to know that Hatsola offers that. So thank you very much. I'll just re- remind you that's Dr. Sherry Hansen, Mental Health Coordinator at Hatsola Medical Rescue and Social Worker in Private Practice.